Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Put this on. Let's see here. Philippians chapter 3. That last uh, song. All right, Philippians chapter 3. That last song was written, both the lyrics and the music, by James McGranahan. Anyone remember that name? This morning we... Looked at that. Scotty was telling us the story of Philip uh, P. Bliss, and if I remember right, was it his uh, his music? Excuse me, his lyrics. Philip Bliss's lyrics. James McGranahan uh, took those. They were found in his trunk, and he wrote the uh, the music for "I Will Sing of My Redeemer." I appreciate Scotty bringing those um, hymn histories. It gives added weight as I sing these songs. And I don't know about you, I I really enjoy these favorites. I would announce my song by telling me the title first, but you just give me the number. So then I'm flipping through, okay, which song is this going to be? Uh, just it's a lot of fun. So thank you, Billy, for leading us. Thank you, musicians, for just uh, being flexible, and we just throw things at you, and they just keep playing it. It's, it's amazing to me. Uh, how many of you play an instrument? Okay, that's one. Okay, Jack. Oh, I don't even know Jack. Jack. Jack doesn't raise his hand because he actually plays four or five, I think. But uh, if you play an instrument, you are welcome to bring that on Sunday night. And uh, we'll try to get some more space up here. I want to get more space in our new uh, sanctuary for instruments and, uh, and play. The best way to become better at an instrument is practice. So uh, that's good. Philippians chapter 3. Yes, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, let's uh, look at verses 13 and 14. And in preparation for our annual meeting tonight, I want to talk about stretching out. Have you noticed that rubber bands are only useful when they're stretched? If you have a rubber band that is bigger than the item you're trying to bind up, guess what happens? The item just falls through or falls out or whatever. It doesn't work. You have to have a little bit, at least a little bit, of tension on the rubber band in order for the rubber band to be useful. Now you don't want too much tension on the rubber band because then what happens? It snaps. But you do want to have a little bit of tension on the rubber band. And the problem is that as human beings we don't like to be stretched. I like to do what's comfortable. I like to do what I know. I like to sing the songs that I know. Every time I join a choir I'm thinking, why can't the choir director just pick out songs I already know? Why do we have to sing new things, right? Because I don't like to be stretched. And uh, my guess is, there's a few exceptions in this room, but you don't like to be stretched either. At the same time, what is God trying to do? He's trying to stretch me. He's trying to take me out of my comfort zone. He's trying to take me out of what I'm comfortable doing and put me somewhere where I'm not real comfortable. And we don't like that. And often, and we're going to see this uh, this evening, often what happens is we say, no, I don't want to do that. And we miss opportunities to serve the Lord because we're not willing to be stretched. I'm going to read to you verses 13 and 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Follow along as I read out loud and see if you can catch this idea of stretching out. Because I'm going to ask you what phrase you would point to. Philippians 3.13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God 
in Christ Jesus. Let me read those verses to you again. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, There's a couple of possibilities, but which uh, phrases in those two verses remind you of stretching out? Yes, Marcus. Yeah, reaching forth. It has the idea of a runner. You ever notice the sprinters, as they come up to the finish line, what do they do? They stick their chest out. They're just trying whatever they can to give themselves just that little bit of edge so they can be first across the finish line. Now, distance runners don't typically do that, but have you noticed that distance runners actually have a little bit, I think they call it a kick at the end, where they run a little bit faster pace that last 10, 20% of the race. So they're running a marathon. They've already been running for 25 miles. And that last mile, they try to run a little bit faster. That's this idea of stretching out. And we're going to look at that tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Elmira Baptist Church. I'm blessed to be a part of this ministry. I'm blessed that you've called me here. I'm blessed that you've entrusted me with the the shepherding, the under-shepherding of this people I'm so thankful for the way they love me and my family. I'm so thankful for the way they love each other, reaching out to each other. I'm so thankful for the way they love the community, reaching out to neighbors and friends and family members. And week by week, it's not uncommon for us to have a a guest, someone that's been invited, someone that has seen one of us shining as a bright light and has wanted to participate in our worship. And I thank you, Father, for that. I pray that you'd continue to bless us with new ministries, with new opportunities to serve. I ask that you keep stretching us. And uh, Father, we love you. We're, we're so grateful that we can be a part of your team, that we can just follow behind our great captain, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would give us fresh vision, fresh energy, fresh motivation to love you and to serve you tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are five reasons that Elmira Baptist Church exists. And Uh, I've given these to you before, but I'm going to give them to you again. encourage you to write them down. The first reason that Elmira Baptist Church exists is to evangelize. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have a a duty to evangelize. Not only to evangelize, but also to disciple. Teach all nations. And to baptize them, I, I would include that in this broader issue of discipleship. So we not only want to see them saved, but we also want to see them grow to the point that they're evangelizing and they're discipling other people. We also exist to worship. What other group would you meet with to worship God? You're not going to meet with your basketball team, right? Or your, uh, I don't know, some of you play you know, games, card games, right? You're not going to meet with your bridge group to, 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 to worship. That's why a church exists. We gather to worship. We also exist in order to fellowship with each other. I, I'm, I'm blessed because you enjoy spending time with each other. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had no lights. We had no heat. And uh, you still came out. And Brother Kim remarked on the fact that after we were done, yes, yeah, some of you left right away. I mean, you had to. I get it. It was already pitch black outside and you were trying to get home. Uh, he went a long time. Uh, but most of you, many of you, just stayed and you talked with each other because you enjoy each other. A church exists to fellowship. And then a church exists, and Elmira Baptist Church exists to provide mutual accountability, to keep each other honest, so to speak. 
I'm watching out for you, and I hope you're watching out for me. And there'll be times when we have to rebuke. There'll be times when we have to exhort. And as a pastor, the, the constant tension in ministry is, I, I love you guys, and you're doing so well. And I'm grateful for that. At the same time, I know we can do a little bit better. Some of you can do a lot better. Some of you need to work harder. And some of you are really just putting it all on the table. And I don't want you to feel badly because you're giving God 100%. And I, I thank you for that. But many of us are not. And we can give God a little bit more. We can stretch out a little bit harder. We can run just a little bit faster that race that God has set before us. And here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, Brethren... I count not myself to have apprehended. Now, you know, he's already talked about this idea of attaining into the resurrection of the dead in verse 11. He talks about uh, he follows after that he may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended. Then he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Now, think about why does he make that statement? Why does he say, brethren, I don't even think I've apprehended. I don't even think I've reached that completion point in my race. Why is he saying that to these Philippians? And here's the reason. Because some of them are saying, you know what, Paul? I've done just about everything I can do. I, I can't give anymore. Uh, Paul, I've, I've really worked hard. I've been a Christian a long time now. And I've done a lot of things for him. And I just don't have any more I can give him. And Paul's saying, now wait a minute, brethren. I don't even consider myself to have apprehended. I mean, here's a guy who's written books in the New Testament, right? He's planted how many different churches? He's been beaten for his faith. He's been jailed for his faith. On his trips, he's been shipwrecked. If anyone could have said, you know, I, I've done it. I mean, I have, I've arrived. It would be Paul. Paul says, I don't even consider myself to have arrived. And by implication, he's saying to his listeners, don't you consider yourself to have arrived? Sometimes as Christians, we get to that point in our Christian life, we're on a plateau. We feel pretty good about where we're at. We sort of like what we've done. I'm talking about in the past. We sort of look back and we're like, yeah, I'm doing, I've, done, I've done a lot of stuff. And I'm just going to be comfortable and I'm going to sit here. Don't just sit there. God has more for each one of us. Now, we're all in different seasons of life. Those of you with young kids, your season of life is probably mostly focused on discipling, evangelizing, and discipling your own children. And I want that. I want it to be that way. Don't, don't feel badly like, well, I don't get to do as much around the church as I used to because I have three, four, five kids, two kids. I mean, that, that takes all your energy. I get that. Some of you, the Lord's brought you through a, a long and healthy life, and now you're at the point where it's all you can do to get here on Sunday mornings. It's all you can, get to here, do, get, it's all you can do to get here on Sunday nights. And you say, what more could I do? Well, I hope that you're praying. Pray for us. We need prayer warriors. There was a lady, Virginia Powell, we called her Grandma Powell, at uh, my church when I was in high school and then when we first went to the mission field. And uh, she spent hours every day in prayer. In fact, we'd go over to visit her. <clears throat> we'd, go, we'd gone to the mission field, my wife and I, to Mongolia. We came back from being there for the first four years and we were talking with her. And she started asking about all these people. Uh, now, Granted, she was mispronouncing their Mongolian names, but she's doing her best to ask about all these people, and why was she asking about these folks? She'd been praying for them, by name. She'd never met them, she didn't know them, I mean, maybe she saw pictures, we tried to send pictures, etc., but, but she was praying for them. And you can have a ministry of prayer, but all of us have some more part to play 
here at Elmira Baptist Church. None of us should be at that stage where we say, you know what, I, Pastor, I've really served, and I'm, I'm just going to coast for a while. Can you, know, can you take me off this? Can you take me off that? I mean, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, again, maybe you're in a season of life, you need to step back from some duties so you can focus on others. I, I do understand that. But sometimes we just get, let me just tell us, we get lazy, don't we? We feel like, ah, boy, do I have to do this again? Right? I'm going to come to you here in the next few weeks. Some of you, I've already come to some of you. And I'm going to say, can you help with Vacation Bible School? Well, Pastor, I've helped with Vacation Bible School for 12 years. And I want to take year 13 off. <laughs> you know, we're a small church. We need everybody's help. Now, maybe you say to me, you know, I can't help in this way. I need to help in that way. I, I get it. But I, I don't need people stepping back. I, I say, I, we. Elmira Baptist Church doesn't need people stepping back from the ministry. We need people stepping up. We need people to stretch themselves, to try one more year, to give it one more go. Paul says, I don't even consider myself to have apprehended. He says, I'm going to forget what is behind. Now, a lot of times we use that phrase, forgetting those things which are behind in verse 13. And we are thinking in terms of bad things, right? I'm going to forget the things that are behind me all the sin that's back there and all, all, the, all the bad stuff. And I think that's a, that's a fair application here. Um, we don't want to be weighed down by guilt. Every one of us carries with us, or we could, let me use that, that, that verb, we could carry with us baggage that would keep us from going forward because of all the stuff back there. And here's the truth. God's forgiven us, right? He's separated our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He's buried those sins in the deepest seas. He doesn't remember our sins anymore, the Bible tells us. So we shouldn't be going back and replaying all those old sins. What we need to do is confess, repent, and move forward. But Paul isn't talking about the bad stuff that's behind him. He's talking about all the good things. Here in chapter 3, Philippians 3, look with me at verse 5. He starts to rant. This is my word for it. He starts to rant and he says to these people, circumcised, well, verse 4, that I, excuse me, though I, Paul says in verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Verse 5 now, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now just consider those first three things that he mentions. He's been circumcised, He's an Israelite. He can even re relate his family's genealogy. Did, did, Paul do, did Paul do any of that? Was Paul eight days old when he says, you know, I, I really should go get circumcised? <laughs> All of those things were just advantages that God gave him. Now, I, I, I want to make this application here before I move on. Some of us have more advantages than others. God gave us in some cases, godly parents. Listen, we have that much more reason to serve him. Not to step back and say, well, you know, you have to understand what kind of person I am. I've been in church all my life. Well, if you've been in church all your what a blessing to grow up in church. You know, I remember being a teenager. I didn't think it was such a blessing to grow up in church. But I'm glad that my parents made me come. And you young people, be glad when your parents say, get in the car, we're going to church. They don't say, do you want to go to church? They just say, get in the car, we're going. Those are advantages. We can be grateful for those. But if you don't have those advantages, that's okay too. God can still use you. 
Don't use your advantages as an excuse to not serve. Don't use your disadvantages as, a, as an excuse to not serve. But Paul goes on, back to our text here, Philippians 3, uh, uh, verse uh, 5. He says, as touching the law of Pharisee, verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Here are some things he had accomplished. He'd become a Pharisee. He was so zealous about the law that he was persecuting the church. He had done everything that he could to be blameless as far as humanly speaking, people looking at him to be blameless. These are the things he says, forgetting those things which are behind. He's not saying forgetting all the bad things I did, although he did do bad things. He, he relates that elsewhere. He's saying, I'm also going to forget the good things I did. Now, he doesn't mean forget them like they don't matter, that he understands they matter to eternity. What he realizes is if he spends his life looking behind him, he's going to run into a wall in front of him. As I was reading some commentators on this passage, some of them said this was a comment about a foot race. You know, in a foot race, you don't want to look back. Because if you look back in a foot race, you're going to stumble and fall. But the, uh, some commentators pointed out this, that another metaphor he might be using here is a chariot race. Maybe Paul had seen a Roman chariot race. Can you imagine being a charioteer? You're driving a team of horses at the highest speed you can, going around a track, and you decide to look behind you. That can be fatal. If you have a wreck as a charioteer, you could very well die. Paul's saying, I, I can't be looking behind me. I'm going to forget those things that are behind because I want to press toward the mark. I want to be moving forward. So our focus is not on what is behind us, whether what's behind us is bad or whether what's behind us is good. Our focus is on what is what lies ahead of us. He says, I'm looking toward, excuse me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is focused. He's focused on energetically pursuing his goal. I press toward the mark. I'm focused on this one thing. And he calls this prize a high calling. It's not an ordinary calling. And we all have ordinary callings. We're all called to be citizens. You know one of the joys of being a citizen of the United States in the months of February and March and April? You know what that is? Filing your taxes. That's a calling. And I think you ought to pay your taxes. Uh, be, and be honest. Tell the government. Now, it's funny to me that the government says they know everything about us, but they don't know how much we owe in taxes. But let's just set that aside. That's a calling. Some of you have a calling to be a, a juror. How many of you have ever sat, been impaneled on a jury? Okay, yeah. You, you know what that's like? You get, they actually let you be on a jury? I'm a little bit surprised. He has a job that would, I would think, sort of like a police officer, you're never going to be a police officer and be put on a jury because, you know, you're a police officer. But, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. That's another calling, being a juror. You know, there's some callings that are even bigger than that. The calling to be a husband or to be a wife, that's even bigger than your call to be a citizen, to be a juror. You're, you're calling if God has put into your hands children. You're calling to be a parent. That, that's also a, a high calling. But that's not the high calling that he's referring to here. He's talking about a higher calling than being a citizen, being a juror. 
He's talking about a higher calling than being a husband or a wife or a, a parent. He's talking about the calling to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's pressing toward that mark. That idea comes from verse 12. He talks about I, um, uh, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended in Christ Jesus. This word apprehend is the idea of pursuing someone. And he says, Jesus Christ pursued me. Jesus Christ caught me. Now I'm pursuing and I'm trying to catch. Life has many calling and the highest calling that every one of us has is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now why is this a high calling? Well, there's several applications. Let me give you one tonight. It's a high calling because it supersedes and it takes priority over all the other callings. My calling to be a follower of Jesus Christ is more important. It supersedes and it takes priority over my calling to be a husband. It takes priority over my calling to be a father. It takes priority over my calling to be a citizen or to be a, a, a juror. Now, again, not that I can't do those other things. Many of these we do in parallel, I understand. But the highest calling we have is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to reach forth. I'm going to stretch out. I'm going to exert myself to the uttermost to those things which are before us. What are some of the things that are before us? And this is where I want to make some application to some things we're going to consider here in a, in a few minutes. One of the things that's before us is this new building. And I, frankly, I thought that we were going to be in the building in 2023. I even packed some boxes of stuff that I did not have room at the time in my office for. I packed those boxes. I marked them. I said, bring these boxes first out. And I put them away and they're still sitting there because I really was waiting for more room so I could put these books, these books particularly, we have a library in there. And you say, where do all those books are going to come from? I already have the books for that library. <laughs> Boy, I, I want to get into that new building, but let's be, let's think through this. Change is always hard for all of us, isn't it? There are going to be things, I mean, as much as some of you are going to be excited to be in that new building, there's going to be a few people that don't like that the ceiling is so high, right? Or where are the bathrooms? I don't know where the bathrooms are. Or they moved my Sunday school class. Well, sometimes we need to stretch ourselves. You're, we're, we're really good. Uh, Baptists, all the churches I've ever been to, Baptists are always really good about sitting in about the same place every time. <laughs> One uh, Sunday at a church I attended previously, a lady made it her goal to get everybody to sit in a different place. And she went around person by person, family by family, and said, would you please sit in a different place this Sunday? And so we did. We were a little bit of a joker church, I guess. So we all sat in different places. And the pastor, who was not me, he got up and he started looking around and you could tell there was a little bit of confusion. <laughs> because if he's like me, when I get up, I'm looking, okay, there's so-and-so, yep, and that person's in their place. But no one was in their place. They were there, they just weren't in their place. And we move into a new building and where's my seat? What do you mean, where's your seat? There's more seats than we had before. I know that's the problem, right? Before I just sat wherever there was an opening. Now there's so many choices. I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. It's going to take more effort and more work to be in this new building. And so we need to stretch ourselves. 
We need to stretch ourselves. As individuals, we need to stretch ourselves. We need to recognize that God is constantly trying to pull us out of our comfort zone. He is. I mean, I wish. This is what I wish God would do. This is what I wish God would do. His plan involved me going through a lot of trouble and turmoil and temptation and trials and then getting to the point where I can just relax. You say, when do you get to that point? When you get to heaven. Between now and heaven, there are going to be days, and there are days when I can relax and there's not a lot of pressure, but there's a lot of days where God's trying to stretch me. There's a lot of days when God's trying to stretch you. I know because some of you have been coming and you've said, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? And I'm, I'm always glad to pray for you. And what's God trying to do? He's trying to stretch you. Some of you have come to me and you said, pastor, hey, I, you know, da, 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 this happened and that's why I wasn't in my place. Da, da. Okay, what's God trying to do? He's trying to stretch you. Let me ask each one of us, as God's trying to stretch us, are we more zealous for God than we were last year? Or are we less zealous today? Are we less zealous for God than we were last year? I ask myself this question from time to time. And I have to hang my head in shame sometimes and admit, you know what? Last year I was more zealous than I am today. Well, if that's you, then why don't you tell God that at the invitation and let God stretch you. Let God put just a little bit more on you. And I don't mean more work necessarily. Um, a greater burden to pray. Do you spend more time in prayer this year than you did last year? Do you spend more time meditating on God's word than you did last year? We all need to stretch ourselves. And I want you particularly, if you don't focus on anything else this year in 2024, um, our theme is God is faithful. And that's a focus on God. But if I can give all of us one thing to, to, to work on, and that is to stretch ourselves so that we meet with God every day. We meet with God every day. Now, meeting with God is different than reading your Bible because I can read with God and never meet, meet with Him. I can even pray, go through the motions of, you know, telling God all my problems and telling Him He's a great God and all that, and never really meet with God. The difference in my mind, and when I, when I talk about meeting with God, the difference between just those activities and meeting with God is there's a mental and emotional and spiritual focus on who God is and what you're doing. Let's stretch ourselves as individuals to meet with God every day. As a church... Um, we, can, we can stretch ourselves. Uh, I want to be, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a phrase here and then I'm going to ask you if you know what it is and young people, you're going to have an advantage over your parents. Here we go. I want to be an IRL church. Do you know what an IRL church is? Uh, Hudson knows. Hudson? An in real life church. This is a term they use on social media and other things. You know, in real life I did this. We are an in real life church. Now, I, I, those of you that are at home because health has kept you there, I, I understand. Please don't, don't misunderstand this. But you cannot worship on Zoom the way you can worship in person. You cannot disciple people. You cannot study the Bible on Zoom like the way you can or on FaceTime or whatever video teleconferencing you use like you can when you sit down with someone face-to-face. You look them in the eye and you open God's Word and you, and you teach and you talk and you discuss. We want to be an in real life church. I, I understand recently that uh, 
Apple came out with their virtual reality headset. We don't want virtual reality. Why would you want virtual reality when you can come here? What kind of virtual reality worship are you looking for when you can have real worship? IRL, in real life worship. We want to be an in real life church. And the reason I'm, I'm stressing this is because I know a lot of people are saying, we're going to use technology. We don't have to meet as a church. You stay home and I'll stay home and we'll all get on whatever technology it is and we'll do church. You, I, no, no, we are an IRL church. IRL, yeah, in real life, in real life church. We need in real life relationships. I want you to, this year, as we think of a church stretching ourselves, where can we build relationships? Some of our relationships are going to be evangelistic in nature. There's going to be a neighbor or a coworker or a friend, and what they need is they need you to be an in real life friend, an in real life coworker, an in real life neighbor, and care enough about them to pray for them and witness to them. In real life, evangelism. In real life, discipleship. Meeting with people. There's a meeting with people, looking at them in the eye, like I said, and, and sitting down and talking about God's word together. And so many of you are already doing that. So again, I'm not trying to put a greater burden on you, but, but that is a good thing. In this headlong rush into social media, which I warn you, social media, you can use it for good. And some people use social media for good. But a lot of what social media is used for is evil. In this headlong rush into social media, in this headlong rush into virtual reality or augmented reality or, or, or mixed reality or spatial computing, listen, just set your phone aside. Set your virtual reality headset aside and go meet with someone. I understand the avatars in those just look terrible anyway. One of the headsets actually has little eyeballs that you're supposed to see on the outside to see if the person's looking at you, and it's sort of freaky, they said. You know? You're looking at this headset, and there's these two fake eyeballs that are looking back at you. Take the goggles off and live life without these things. Now, again, if you're using social media to, to keep up with your grandkids who live on the other side of the country, God bless you. But if you're using social media to get the news, you, you'd be much better served by just turning it off. Yeah. And, and there's other ways to get the news. You come talk to me. I'll be glad to suggest some to you. We're going to be an in real life church. And that means it's going to stretch us. Some of us are, like I said, we're, we're, we're giving all, all is on the altar and I don't want you to feel burdened that you need to do more. But there's some of us that really aren't giving God our all. We're not. We're not meeting with him every day. We're not. Some of us aren't even praying consistently every day. We're not meditating on God's word every day. We need to stretch that out. There's people that'll say to me, I'll, I'll meet up with them. They haven't been in church in a while. And I'll say to them, you know, hey, we miss you at Elmira. Is everything okay? Yeah, I've just been tired and discouraged. Listen, when you're tired and discouraged, that's the best time to come to church. If you let tiredness and discouragement keep you from joining us for our, our times of worship, you are the loser. You're the one that's not benefiting. I, I can't help you. I can't exhort you. I can't encourage you unless I see you. We have some, uh, not me, there are some people in this church who are real encouragers. I get encouraged every time I talk to them. And guess where they are on Sundays? They're right here. So if you need some encouragement, come join us and just grab one of these people and say, hey, I need some encouragement. I need some prayer. Don't let being tired and discouraged keep you from 
being on time. Let's stretch ourselves. Let's press on. Let's move forward. Let's think of some new ways that we can serve God and serve each other here at Elmira Baptist Church and in real life church. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to be in your word. I'm grateful for the good people you've brought to Elmira Baptist Church. Folks that are in real life Christians. They're not just putting on a facade on Sundays. They're not just putting on a facade on Sundays. They're not just pretending when they're here. They're, they're serious about you. And I thank you for that core group of Christians that you've given to us. Others uh, that are here tonight, we could do more. We're not as zealous this year as we were last year. We're not praying as much this year as we were last year. And we all have our reasons. We all have, we all have our excuses. Uh, we all have our, our um, thinking. But what we need, to, Lord, is, is we need to stretch ourselves. There's some folks here that are in a season of life that is discouraging. They are stretched. They feel like if they're stretched anymore, the, the rubber band is going to snap. And Lord, pour out your grace upon them. Show them that your grace is sufficient for these times of raising children. This, your grace is sufficient for these times of poor health and infirmity. Your grace is sufficient for these times of, of age and inability. And then, Lord, for those of us that we don't have those seasons of life, we're not in that season of life, would you open our eyes to fresh opportunities to serve? Give us a vision, Lord, for how we can stretch ourselves do a little bit more for you. For those that you've recently opened the door, an opportunity, and they they really need to step through that door and do what you've called them to do, and and they've said, no, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm just going to stay here. Lord, open that door again for them. Call them a second time. Pour out your grace on them so they step through that door into that discomfortable, uncomfortable zone, into that discomfort, because they want to serve you. Lord, we want to do all that we do because we love you. Not because we're driven by fear, not because we're, we're whipped on by, a, by a, a harsh pastor. Lord, we want to we serve you because we love you. You've been so good to us. You've done so many things for us, starting with the gift of your son and that eternal life that you've just handed to us without any cost to us. We're thankful for that. Bringing us here to Elmira Baptist Church, giving us the freedoms and the prosperity we experience in the United States. So many things that we have to be thankful for. Out of that sense of gratitude and out of our love for you, may we serve. And we ask that you'd guide also our time, uh, considering the church's uh, forward momentum in our annual meeting. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.